Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Today is Thursday, March 8th, 2018. What have you been up to since we last talked? I have been into a number of things. Uh, I spent a good part of the day yesterday playing our favorite game, Eternal, because a new adventure dropped. Right, which is like a little kind of story campaign that you play through and unlock some exclusive cards. Yeah, and I like it because you can buy it with in-game currency, so I spent $0 and had a nice little hour or two and got some got some fun new cards to feed the addiction. Yeah, I, I finished the, the little adventure today, and um, a lot of, I think, a lot of the community might be a little disappointed with this, but a lot of the cards might not have great in-game use, but, like, are really great little kind of storytelling devices that kind of really fit in with the, the kind of story you're playing through. Um, so I kind of enjoyed it from that kind of game design flavor perspective. Yeah, I did. I mean, the story, I thought the first half of the story was much more interesting than the second half. Uh, I do like how, like, the cards, you know, the flavor is always something that, you know, some people care a lot about, or I'd probably put myself kind of, you know, in the middle to light where it's like, it's a card game, but, you know, a couple of little things are, it's always helpful to go, oh, yeah, that kind of, I kind of get that. That makes sense. So that's been fun. Um, I kind of I kind of have to break the addiction, but I've been playing a lot of internal. Yeah, me too. I need to uh <laughs> I need to find other ways to like I I uh I feel like it's affecting my posture cuz I kind of hunch over to play it and it's not, not I know. good. Well, it's like it's just so convenient when you're like, "Ah, oh, I don't really have time to do anything. I got like 10 15 minutes to sit here on the couch and pull out your phone and it's right there and uh I guess this is our this is the struggle now." But so, besides that, I've been into some new TV shows. Yeah. Nothing really genre related though at this point. Although I did watch the first episode of Altered Carbon, which was cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. Yeah, I've heard, you know, I've heard good to mix, but the first episode was like, yeah, this seems fun. Um although the main guy is just like, I really just think you're trying to be Thomas Jane and you're not. Uh <laughs> but that's okay. So, I have been we start Shane I've been watching this new comedy on uh, I guess it's on NBC, but we're watching on Hulu, AP Bio, Glenn Howerton's new kind of thing. Yes, we've been watching that as well. What do you think? It's okay. <laughs> it's not anything amazing. I think that this is not going to be his, the Mick, if you will. Uh, I, do, I do like, you know, there's some stuff that really hits because Shay was a teacher. So there's some things she laughs at a lot, but it definitely has that like high schoolers, quote unquote, that are probably 27. And, you know, uh, his character is like just a little bit too close to Dennis. Well, yeah, so there, so this is Glenn Howerton, who he plays Dennis on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, and your comparison was to, um, now I'm forgetting her name, Caitlin Olson? Yes. All right? Yep. Caitlin Olson, who plays D on Sunny, Always Sunny, uh, she has, has or had a show called The Mick. And your comparison is right, because on The Mick, she's basically playing D, but in a different context. Right. She's like a nanny to a bunch of rich kids. And then AP Bio is Glenn Howard and is basically playing Dennis, except he's a AP biology teacher who's for some reason he's a philosophy doctor, but he's anyway, the premise doesn't matter. It has actually it also has a lot in common with Eastbound and Down. Did you ever watch Eastbound and Down? No, I've never heard of that. Um, it's it's um, Danny McBride was kind of his breakout. It was a show. It's a show. He were he's like this uh, former like baseball star who ends up being like a high school gym teacher. Um, hilarity ensues has a lot in common, but I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Um, Pat Oswalt's in it as the principal. He's, he's great. Um, 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know how long this thing can go on um, because I think we're in episode like three now and all of a sudden he is starting to like make emotional connections with the kids and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> the whole point was you're a horrible bastard and you don't care about these kids. I don't want you to care about them. This stops being fun when you care about the kids. But uh, otherwise, pretty well written, pretty well put together. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I like I think my favorite parts are Patton Oswalt's character. He's just like run down, dumpy principal who's just completely run over by the teachers uh which he's good for that role and um i like the his female teacher colleagues that are just very very like shay's just like yes these are some of the teachers that i taught with yeah and i like how there's something about the way that they're written where um you almost feel like like a lot of characters side characters in sitcoms it seems like you kind of feel like they just power down when the main character isn't around. You don't feel like they really have a life outside of their run-ins with the main character. But like every time you see the the three those three other uh, teachers in the teachers' lounge, you're like, you just feel like there's a whole other show that's going on around those three, and we're just dipping in for little moments of like, oh, what are these three up to? I, I I'm enjoying them. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Uh, we also, so we had a bunch of, bunch of snow the past, uh, day and because we work at a university, we didn't have to work for two days, which was awesome. Uh, and so we started a show that I found out about cause I was listening to hello internet, uh, CGP Gray's podcast. And he was talking about watching the confession tapes. Have you heard of this? I don't think so. It's a Netflix original. I believe that basically it's just like little mini making of murders. So it's mm. all about confessions and basically the whole premise is that you get you watch large chunks of these confession tapes from people who are claiming that they were false confessions and seeing the conditions mm -hmm. in which they were given their confessions and the things they said and you know 12 hours of being in the police station with you know no food and drink and these sort of things and uh people who say like i i did it sure i did it i think i guess i did it i don't know maybe i did it and you know then that they use that conviction or that confession to convict them and they're all pretty depressing because that's what <laughs> these things are uh and it just makes me really really bummed out i'd say it's a fine show i mean you have to take it you know as sort of the same way you watch making murder where you're like well they're coming from a certain point of view and you know they're probably leaving out convenient things that you're not seeing but it's it's good i would recommend it if you're into the, sort of that true crime and abortions <laughs> of the justice system sort of thing <laughs> yeah actually so now that you described it i had heard about it actually on the true crime the true crime podcast i listened to last last podcast on the left um they've talked about it and you always hear about it in the context of like you say like our justice system has kind of been or you know kind of been oriented around confessions and securing confessions and because a confession closes a case essentially so whether or not the person actually did it they're just trying to get a conviction so that they can close the case and move on and confessions just like eyewitness testimony are given way too much emphasis in our justice system and we're learning more and more how flawed those devices are in terms of actually getting to the truth eyewitnesses are incredibly unreliable and confessions are often um phony because you know like like you say like um you 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 deprive someone of food and comfort for long enough and their state of mind changes and they say things maybe they don't mean they don't fully understand the consequences sad stuff yeah it bums me out partially you know obviously for the obvious reason that like there's people being you know put away for their entire lives that 
And, and they always sort of build up the episode to, like, make you think that, like, oh, you know, new evidence has come out and, like, maybe they're going to get, like, exonerated. And it's just like, nope, Supreme Court, you know, ruled in negative in favor of them. It's like, ah, shit. Uh, so <laughs> that sucks. But it, it bums me out because not only because of, like, the individual people, which is terrible, but also because, like, if you think about it when you start debating about things, especially like, political theory or, or politics or, you know, societal issues, like, the way you enforce your laws and criminal justice as a whole is kind of at the crux of a lot of it and when you see a system that's so broken it makes you just realize that the whole system is so broken and very very depressing well and we should point out that you know this is you know this just like making a murder like these are not necessarily representative cases these are you know these but the fact that these things happen and that this is a system like it exposes like this is a part of our system that could be exploited we should find a way to fix it even if it's only exploited 10 times a year, that's still too many times. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, in, in Hell Internet, CG3 always says, I would rather have 10 criminal go, cr criminals go free than one, you know, innocent person get put away for a crime I didn't do. You know, I don't know if anyone agrees with that. But the biggest thing that I forget sometimes when I watch these shows is just how slow our system is. Mm -hmm. Like, how painfully slow. You're watching the first episode. It's about these two teens that are accused of murdering the one teen's entire family. Uh, very brutally and they're both uh, still in jail today and you know they were they didn't get arrested until two or three years after the murder occurred wow and then it took six years for the trial to start so you've already been in prison for six years yes <laughs> like that is crazy yes and and part of the the thing about you know all these things about, you know, not wanting innocent people to go to jail. And also, like you say, the time that people spend waiting for trial and you hear about people who end up there, you know, because of some weird clerical error, they end up waiting for trial for 30 years. And, um, and even though that's technically illegal, right, there's, you know, uh, one of our amendments is a speedy trial, um, or bill of rights things, uh, is a, you know, you have the right to a speedy trial, um, and habeas corpus and all that. If there's an error and hey, it's like, yeah, no, you you win, but still now you've been in jail for 30 years, how you don't have a life after that. And we know that how much, you know, being in jail for a year destroys your life. And if you weren't a criminal going in, you will be coming out because of the way that our prison system, you know, basically is like, hey, why don't we put you in in a, in a big room with a lot of other prisoners and nothing else to do except talk to each other about how to get better at crimes. And then when you get out, make it very, very difficult for you to have any kind of crime-free life. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a mess. So the idea of, yeah, you really don't want innocent people going to jail because even if they're only there for a year, that's a year that they have to explain at every job interview going forward. It's and, it's really bad. <laughs> so, but I, I would I would recommend the show. I mean, it's, it's not, I think it's like seven or eight episodes. We've, we're about maybe four or five episodes in. And each case is, is, you know, different, but still based around this idea of like, you know, like you said, the lack of credibility of eyewitness and confessions in the courtroom. But the last thing I've been doing is I am still, still pushing my way through a uh, producer station. And I, yeah. I wouldn't say I, I'm pushing any longer. <laughs> I've hit the point where like, uh, for a while there, it was like read 10 pages and fall asleep because it's just like a lot and it's a little slow to start. And now I'm just like, Read, read in bed for an hour and go, oh, oh shoot, I better get to bed. Uh, it's starting to grip me. Although Good. it's got this thing going on where every time I feel like I'm figuring out what the hell is going on, <laughs> they just throw a whole bunch of new crazy shit at me. I'm just like, I don't, what, what is going on? So 
I'm about maybe like 70% of the way through or something like that. Almost. Should, yeah. So you're really on the downhill slope. Yeah. I mean, I've got, there's like these weird hand things. The handlingers. Handlingers. Oh, that's so cool. Those chapters are weird. You know, we've got our crazy Motley D&D crew running around, um, which is an interesting, interesting mix of people. And then this weird steampunk robots, I guess. Oh, the remade. Yeah. No, no, not those. When those guys were there too, but the oh wait, yeah, the other one, like the actual robots. Oh, the actual. I forgot that was in. Yeah. For some weird. reason, I thought that was in Iron Council. Oh, they. I think they. I think they show up again in Iron Council. Okay. Just the third book in the series. And uh, you know, of course, we, the Weaver interdimensional spider is running mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. causing a muck. Who's like, kind of like their Gandalf. I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> it's a very, very weird situation. <laughs> but it's cool, and the things they are fighting are pretty terrifying yes yeah the slake moths that uh um what do they eat they eat like people's minds i guess like yeah they dreams. Like, i don't know yeah they basically they they feed on your consciousness kind of that seems to be what it what is implied i mean it's kind of like they don't really describe it in that way but they just like they eat your brain and it's like but they don't actually eat your brain right but not in the physical sense yeah you're just a vegetable if they get their way with you and yeah. it got all these funny ways of fighting them with like mirrors and things. I don't know. It's it's interesting, but yeah, because you can't. the The idea is that you can't look directly at it because its its wings will hypnotize you, and that's how they get it. Yeah, that's how they that's how they get you. So they have to, yeah, use these weird contraptions to like approach it backwards. You can't. You have to see it like out of the corner of your eye, it through a mirror. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, but it's good. I'm I'm finally. It really it really started to grip me once I reached like the halfway point. Yeah, and I think that once you kind of get used to his world and his storytelling style. The next books, if you choose to go that far, will be easier to read. And I also think that the scar second book in the series, my favorite is a tighter narrative. Gotcha. Is it the same length? Roughly might be a bit shorter. Okay. But it, I feel like it, 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 it just, it, it moves along better. And it, 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 I feel like it keeps you coming back a little bit more. The mystery is a little bit more interesting, um, than the mystery in, uh, Street Station. Yeah, it's different. I like it. So that's what I've been into. But shall we get into what we're into tonight? Yes, we are. So um, this will be our third in what is becoming a series. We started with Name of the Wind, and then we moved on to the Star Wars prequels. And now we are rebuilding the DC Comics uh, Cinematic Universe. Is it they call it the DC EU? Is that the technical code name for that's it. what i see used although i forget all right i, I, th- I think it stands for ex- expanded universe but i don't who, like who knows that's a, that's stolen from star wars god damn it uh but <laughs> but yeah so you know we been talking a little bit and, and greg had some initial ideas and we realized that we were onto something and that uh in you know the vein of things that need desperately to be bailed out uh to get a little bit of new guidance a new a new lease on life uh DC cinematic output since Man of Steel, which was in what, 20, I don't know, 12, 10, something like that, 13, I don't know, uh, has been bad. Yeah, and I think we can all agree that every DC movie since, you know, everything after Dark Knight Rises, and even Dark Knight Rises was a little bleh, but it wasn't bleh for the same reasons that the recent movies have been bleh. Um, Wonder Woman being the exception, they've all been bad. Man of Steel, bad. Batman versus Superman, bad. Suicide Squad, bad. 
Aquaman bad. <laughs> he says without having even seen it yet. Look, come on. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'll say that I I only like Wonder Woman. I think that the massive praise I get is only because it stands next to these other movies, where I think if you compare Wonder Woman to any other modern adventure action movie, whether it's superhero or otherwise, I don't think it. There's parts of it that are really great, and there's some really great ideas in it, but uh, overwhelmingly, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch. No. So uh, I think, I mean, so if we let's start with the problems that we're trying to solve, kind of diagnose what's wrong with the DC movies, um, and I think that will get us to where we want to be for how we want to fix them. Um, And one of the, I mean, there are problems with the DC movies in that they are just badly made from a technical perspective. There's a lot that's been written and said about how um, Batman versus Superman is written and edited in a way that makes it incomprehensible. And Suicide Squad is two different movies that got grafted onto each other and you can see the seams. Same is true for Justice League. Like it just, it's all over the place in terms of tone and style. Uh, Those are technical things that are wrong, but you know, I think we were having a conversation a while ago about like, ooh, they're going to recast Batman. And it's like, that's fine, but the problems are deeper than just the surface level things of like, you got cast the wrong guy to play this character or uh, this movie got ruined in the editing room. Um, it's fundamental misunderstanding of these characters in this setting. So um, I think that the kind of the core of the problems with these movies, you can trace them back to the initial decision to um, how to make Man of Steel. Um, I, what they had was they had this great success with the Nolan trilogy of Batman movies. And they had this director, Zack Snyder, who had kind of kind of proven himself on, on Watchmen and 300. And they tried to make those two things work together, which is a already a weird mix. You've got grim gritty realistic style of like writing and tone like the nolan movies trying to be more grounded and you know driven by you know like philosophically driven and you know that grim dark thing which is not necessarily a problem but then when you have that style of writing and themes and you try to marry it to Zack snyder's like super bombastic, big, bright visuals, look at all this crazy stuff kind of spectacle of filmmaking. Already, that's a weird mix. Um, And that's one of the reasons that probably Watchmen didn't work as well as, say, 300, which is over-the-top storytelling with over-the-top visuals. And a lot of people seem to like Sucker Punch, his weird, Zack Snyder's weird passion project. Over-the-top story, over the top visuals like there's a little bit of a synergy there but instead they're trying to do grim gritty dark brooding superman and big bright flashy Zack snyder already that's a that's a dissonance that they're not going to be able to fix secondly they there's another thing they tried to bolt on to the existing dc universe uh that is incompatible with it and that is um so if you think about the Marvel movies, and I'm going to try not to do a whole lot of DC movie, Marvel movie comparisons here because that that way lies madness. But like the Marvel movies are set in the world that we know, just like the Marvel comics. They're set in New York in the present day. And 
there, there was kind of a conscious choice with Iron Man that like Iron Man was kind of the first superhero in our world, right? Iron Man shows up and kind of kicks everything off. And it, so it's, it's a, it's, it's kind of like the split between sci-fi and fantasy. If you go back to like episode three, whatever we did, where we talked about like how we define fantasy versus sci-fi and like sci-fi is the world that we know with one little tweak to it. And then we look at how that plays out. Fantasy is an entirely new world built from the ground up. Marvel is sci-fi. It is, it is the world we know, but also kind of characters we know, people we know. Spider-Man, nerdy teen, gets powers. Let's see how that goes. Iron Man, uh, rich, drunk, gets responsibility. Let's see how that goes. Um, Captain America, old man in the body of a, of a, of a super soldier. Let's see how that goes in the modern world. Like, kind of a sci-fi setup. Um, and it works in kind of a real-world setting. Um, whereas DC, DC is fantasy. DC stories take place in Metropolis and Gotham. These aren't real cities. And if you look at the characters themselves, they're not like relatable character archetypes that you know with just a little tweak that you let play out. Superman is a probably immortal alien who was raised by farmers in the 20s. That's not a relatable guy. Bruce Wayne is a is a super rich orphan who is also the greatest at karate and detectiving. Also, he's an inventor. Oh, and he can fly a fighter jet. Like, this isn't a real person that then you put into an unusual situation, see how it plays out. Um, because Tony Stark is, he's a self-centered drunken rich guy you might not know that guy personally but like that's a real like I feel like that's a real person now we're going to add on to that also he's he's a ninja master and you know a genius detective and it gets crazier and crazier dc is kind of this fantasy world that's not a bad thing but what they tried to do with the dc movies was they tried to take these fantasy characters and these fantasy stories and just dump them into a real world setting a world that looks a lot like ours, even though they still call it Metropolis and Gotham. But, the, you know, the scenes of Metropolis, that it just looks like New York. It, um, they try to make it seem like a real world. What if Superman showed up tomorrow? How would the world react? Um, fine. But again, it's this mismatch of you're trying to do grim and gritty with big, fantastic visuals. Um, but you're trying to do these big fantastic characters in more of a realistic sci-fi grounded setting. And all of this kind of dissonance just adds up to these movies, just not fucking working. One of the reasons that wonder woman worked was because it knew it wanted to be a fantasy adventure. You know, the first act of the movie takes place on a magical Island filled with, with flying women with arrow shooting powers. It's, and then it moves into a very kind of, uh, fantastical fictionalized, you know, World War One setting, and it's it works because it embraced being a fantasy movie, whereas the other ones don't. Um, I mean, the DC movies, like the DC world, is a world in which the good guys can form can form something called the Justice League, and they can say Justice League with a straight face. And the rest of the world is like, yeah, we should call the Justice League on this. Like, it is not our world. It is a different world. And by trying to shoehorn it into kind of our world, it's just a big fucking mess. Right. And 
this grows out of, you know, sort of the age of a lot of DC's characters, right? Like DC's characters weren't created in the 60s and 70s like Marvel's characters were. They were created in like the 30s and the 40s. It was a different time, a different goal for those characters from the get-go. So the movies should align with those goals, right? There's a reason that most of DC's most successful storytelling and what stands out in most people's minds is cartoons. Yeah. And look, we could try to rewrite these characters into modern versions of themselves and we can deconstruct Batman and we can take apart the things that like, well, those just don't make sense in a real world Batman. Um, he wouldn't be all of these things. We have to take some of them away and, you know, we can do that. But then what we're doing is we're trying to take what makes these characters in these stories special and strip that away in order to make it more like the Marvel movies, which have already been successful or trying like Batman is kind of the only DC hero. I mean, or I mean, I guess you could say the same thing for Green Arrow because he's basically Batman with a slightly different skill set um, is where you can do kind of a grounded movie because you don't you know, OK, it's a guy and he you know, he wants to use his 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 powers for good, but he's just a normal man. OK, fine. Um, all the rest of it, you can't do, you can't do grounded. You got to go crazy with it. Um, and so I think that you can't try to mimic the setting and tone of the Marvel movies, um, because that setting and tone works for those characters. Cause that's the, that's where they come from. Um, and I also think that they tried a little bit to Marvel to mimic the meta structure of the Marvel movies, which is like, we'll do some standalones, then we'll do some big team ups and, um, I don't think that's right either because, um, again, it invites the comparisons to Marvel <laughs> and like Marvel works better. And also because these Marvel characters, they are more fully developed in terms of, a, you know, a, what we would, you know, more of a traditional character with three dimensional and they've always been that way, you know, some more so than others. And they've gotten more and less three dimensional as we've gone along, but they've always, that's, they've, they've always had a little bit more depth than DC characters. Um, so you can spend a whole movie with them and it's fine. Whereas DC characters, maybe it's a little harder to spend a whole movie with Superman when you don't have, I mean, even, even Christopher Reeve, they can only really make that work for the first two movies before it got kind of weird and dumb. So I think that kind of gets, gets us to why these movies are bad. They, they should be fantasy movies, but they tried to make them into sci-fi movies. And, they uh and they should have a structure that supports that um that supports the characters rather than uh highlights their flaws so i think if we look at it like a fantasy like harry potter or lord of the rings um i think that gets us started on where we want to be so rather than start with the world we know and then drop your fantastical characters into that world and see how the world responds which is the marvel way um and then we introduce characters and then we team them up. I think we should start with like a fantasy movie, start with a world that's already fantastical and we drop our viewers into that world. Um, that's the fantasy model. That's the, you know, that's why Harry Potter works. You know, you, uh, you get a fantastical world and you discover it alongside Harry as he discovers it and finds his place in it. Um, and I think this also gives us something really unique is that if we already start with a world that is a superhero world, if the first minute you're watching this movie, superheroes are already a part of the world that everyone lives in, kind of like the Incredibles a little bit, like that's not something we're used to seeing in these big budget superhero movies. 
Um, it's, it's new. And the idea of a world where superheroes are part of the history, like that's fascinating to me. And that's something we haven't really seen before. Again, the Incredibles were kind of a start about start, uh, start there, but that's the kind of idea is that it's not, um, when our, when, when our, whatever our first movie is, when it starts, um, it doesn't start with Superman arriving. It starts with Superman's already a part of the backdrop of life. Um, and then we can explore a world where superheroes are real, um, as opposed to, um, watching everybody get bummed out about Superman again. Right. And I think that the key here is that, um, and not that, and this is, you know, I think we need to be clear that like, we're not saying that the DC characters are all bad or inferior. They're just a very different style of character. And oftentimes not really the focus of the story, kind of going back to our action movie episode, like the difference between like focusing on characters or focusing on spectacle, like Mm -hmm. DC characters are very focused on spectacle. Now all action superhero movies are, have a lot of spectacle in it, but more so in DC area, I think that the spectacle of all these different brightly clad heroes who kind of have somewhat, somewhat ambiguous and redundant power sets flying around and punching things is very different than what Marvel tries to do both in the comics and in the movies. And to try and to move away from that model in your film area is a recipe for disaster, which is what we've gotten. So mm-hmm. if we start with this world, right? A world yeah. with an existing history. Yes. It allows us to be, it allows us a lot of things. It allows us a, a lot more creative freedom. Cause you don't have to, uh, you don't have to address or, well, you do need to address everything, but you don't have to address everything, but still keep it just close enough to us that we know it. Right. Like, uh, one thing we talked about in our Black Panther episode was like, well, if all this Wakanda technology starts going off into the world, isn't that going to pretty dramatically change the world we know? And then in, in the next, you know, in the next five or six Marvel movies, which will come out in the next three months, uh, is the world not going to look like our world anymore? Because that's kind of what people want. They want to see our world. They don't want to only see New York City, Marvel, but <laughs> they want to see a world that's familiar to them. Because that's, right. that's the point, right? Like, like you're trying to see his characters defined in opposition to us in our world, where if we start with something fresh, still our world, but extrapolated a very different direction, you kind of go past the breaking point of, eh, it's kind of cool Star World, but what's that and what's this? Like, no, no, like this is a different place. And the, some things are familiar, like there's still a Statue of Liberty or whatever, or maybe not, but it's a different world altogether. Yeah, and there's no reason that can't work. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars is a completely different world than the world of our own. Um, Hogwarts is a completely different world than the world of our own middle earth. Um, this would be a little bit closer to the world we know. Um, but in much so I would, I would love to see a metropolis that feels as unique and new and exciting as Wakanda. Whereas like Wakanda, when we saw it in black Panther, like it felt so fully realized and like, you just like, I just want to see a movie that's just in Wakanda. I want to see, I want to go down all those streets and I want to, you know, I want to see all those buildings and I don't want Metropolis to just be a knockoff of New York. Like let's make Metropolis this fully realized idea. And we can do that if we, if we break ourselves away from like, well, Metropolis is really just a stand in for New York and Gotham is really just a stand in for Newark. Like don't do that. Like they're their own thing and they can have their own architecture. And we even talked about this in the justice league episode of like, when you see like just a glimpse of like 
Gotham in kind of the cold open of that movie. And it looks all kind of cartoony and like 1930s gothic looking. I'm like, hey, that's cool. That's got some like identity and uniqueness to it. And then we leave and then everything looks like another fucking gray cityscape again. (laughs) But we have so much more room to explore if we stop trying to make everything look like, oh, it's just like our world. No, it's a world where superheroes are real. And it, it can be cool and it can be bright and it can have a different tone. It doesn't need to be grim dark. Um, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, kind of like how every Avengers trailer really makes it seem like, oh no, this is the one where we're going to kill all your best friends. <laughs> um, right. This is the one where everyone dies. Like, no, it can be brighter and more interesting and um, can have a different kind of tone. It can be more optimistic, which is something we've been wanting from our superhero movies. It also gives it, a little bit of distance from real world, like politics and, you know, philosophies and symbolism and those kind of things. Now those things will always exist because, you know, all, all art is political, right, Greg? Um, yes. But it gives you a little more leeway to say, well, you know, it's a different place, right? Like the, the, the context is different. You know, you aren't, you don't need to make a comment about how Donald Trump would view Superman, right? Cause it doesn't, the context isn't there. Not that Marvel always tries to do that, but sometimes you're sort of like, ah, it's getting, you know, there's there's some things that I think, you know, we were concerned about things like the Punisher and things like that, where like in a slightly different world, it might maybe not the Punisher itself, but similar things might be easier to explain or fit into a context that's a little more yeah. fantastical. Yeah. Um, Batman is tough to explain in, in a realistic world in, in 2018. Like it's tough to imagine a real life, you know, OK, this guy's a billionaire orphan and his response to crime in his city again in 2018 is to beat up people who look funny like that's that's a villain in today's world in our context with our understanding of you know how mental illness and poverty contribute to crime and how the best response to crime isn't just you know beating up random perpetrators (laughs) it's systemic um but if it takes place in in a fantasy world or a different time period these characters can maybe make a little bit more sense. So the only other than that larger concept, the only rule I would Im- impose on our new slap batch of movies is that um, we are not allowed to kill a villain until they've been in at least three movies. <laughs> we have to commit to our villains. We have to make them fully developed characters. We have to make them part of the plot, not just an obstacle to be overcome. Um, and yes, you know, occasionally you do need to kill them. Um, but it should be like Gollum in Lord of the Rings where we got to be with them for at least three movies before they get thrown into a volcano. And then even if they're thrown into a volcano, like I do want to see like, you know, um, I do want to see like a post credit sequence where they never find the body or something like that, because, you know, the disposable villains problem is a huge problem. And, um, especially if we're going to, if we're going to elevate this to a fantasy level where it doesn't have to make as much logical sense, every move, the way that a more of a sci-fi grounded movie does. Like we don't need to keep asking ourselves every time, like why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker? Because this is going to operate on a more of a fantasy logic, more of a comic book logic. Um, so anyway, that's the only rule I think. And the rest of it, I think we can just start to let's fix it. Let's go. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the heroes you choose to work with, the heroes you choose to focus on is a, a big part of, the plan, right? So when superhero movies really kicked off in the late 90s, early 2000s, 
modern superhero movies, I should say. We'll ignore older ones, but the new wave, if you will. You know, the pre-wave, a, a weird character to choose, like Blade. That was kind of a weird choice, but Wesley mm-hmm. Snipes is really Blade, I think. So, like, that's what happened. But, like, <laughs> the ones following that, like, Spider-Man and X-Men made sense because those are the most popular Marvel characters and probably the most popular superhero characters, period. So, obviously, popularity plays a role. But then we took a weird turn by going to some of the more, in, in all honesty, B-list heroes for, in Marvel territory. Like, Iron Man was not a particularly popular person outside of like deep comic book nerdum no it was a weird choice uh tr- truthfully to make a iron man movie right and like people knew your average person probably didn't even know could probably couldn't even name the avengers like what's the what's the they could never name the justice league right not name who's in it but say that's a thing that exists we may call it super friends or justice friends but <laughs> you know same thing uh so we need to start we need to figure out who we're going to focus on and if we're going to make this about the Justice League exists in this world. Uh, I think we need to start there of what's the Justice League? Who's <laughs> in the Justice League? So I, I kind of thought about this a lot and I did some digging around a little bit and tried to think. And I kind of came to the conclusion that like, much like we talked about about Star Wars, is that everyone's Justice League is a bit different from the next. I mean, these teams are always rotating and changing, right? You know, from issue to issue, they can change. And uh, the Justice League itself has, you know, it's been around for a very long time. And has gone from, you know, four characters to 15 characters to, oh, now we're a whole corporate organization of, like, teams in every country, right? Just like the Avengers sort of have experienced that as well. But uh, one thing we want to look at is who's the core? And it's a boring answer, but I think the Trinity is at the center, right? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Do you agree? Yes. Um, And I think that one of the things especially with Superman and Wonder Woman that we need to figure out and kind of rein in is power level because the big thing about the justice league, I mean, I mean, I even think there's a Seinfeld joke about it is that, you know, if Superman's on the team, why do you need anyone else? Yeah. And I don't want to go the route of like, okay, well, Superman is like, he's the, he's the doer, right? He can do anything, but Batman's the thinker, like he can solve all the problems. And then Wonder Woman is kind of like the inspirational moral core. Like, I don't want to go that route. I think let's let's tone Superman down a little bit, a little bit less godlike, a little bit less like the Zack Snyder Superman who's cutting buildings in half with his heat vision, and maybe a little bit more like the Christopher Reeve Superman, where like he can probably lift a car, um, maybe a small plane, but that like that's about how you know he's not super fast he's got the heat vision but it's more like a, a laser and less like a fucking death ray um <laughs> but that way you can power him down a little bit and then and then wonder woman probably similar power set to what we see in the current movie like she can jump real good she's strong probably somewhat invulnerable it's a little vague but um you know, maybe we even balance it where, you know, she's actually the like brute force strength powerhouse. Like she could beat Superman in an arm wrestling competition, but Superman can fly and shoot lasers out of his eyes. So it's a little bit more like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, where they all kind of have their own role to play in like the D&D party, but they're all kind of balanced as opposed to the current model of like, so there's God, cosplay detective and weird lady who might be God, <laughs> like make it a little bit more clear, but I think you're right. Those are the central three. Um, and I think that 
Um, and I think that they're kind of, their interaction can be interesting where, you know, Superman, you know, he's maybe a little bit more like a golden retriever, a little naive. Um, Wonder Woman is a little bit more high-minded and philosophical. Batman is paranoid and, you know, you know, highly intelligent, but starting to create more of a dynamic where they can play off of each other and be fun to watch together, as opposed to the situations we got into in the last Justice League movie where, like, Oh yeah, Batman's just a dude, so he got his ass knocked out the first thirty seconds, and then he gets to lie on the grass for half the movie. Yeah, I, I do agree that powering them, powering both, uh, powering all three of them down. To be honest, because Batman can't solve every single issue by having a plan for it ten minutes beforehand. Um, all you know, that's his power. But people always joke that the most powerful being in DC is Batman, uh, because he's always got a plan. But he should always have a plan. But I don't think the plan should always work. Is, right. the, is the key thing. And, you know, there's really good storylines where, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, DC characters don't have flaws. And it's like, well, that's not entirely true. People just don't usually bring them up or exploit them well, uh, lean on them well. So I think one of my, um, another, uh, it's an adaptation of a comic, but um, another good DC animated film was uh, Tower of Babel, Babel, I think. Or what is it called? I think that's what it is. Anyway, the, the doesn't matter what it's called. The basic storyline is that you know, Batman has files on all the Justice League with basically mm-hmm. how he would beat them in a fight. And someone hacks in the computer and uses it and beats them all. And then he has to sort of try and figure out what's going on and save them all, um, which is a good, you know, good play on like his paranoia caused almost the death of his entire team of these like godlike beings. Right. So playing on those, playing on their uh, that three way relationship, and it should be a three way relationship. I think sometimes. There's been weird things like, I mean, it's always this this dynamic of Batman versus Superman, this paradigm, which I think is a good one. But I think putting Wonder Woman in there as a full, fully realized like partner and that role of her background really makes that dynamic a little bit more complex. So and I think that Wonder Woman needs to I think I, I like that her almost make her in a little bit of the Black Panther role where she's got this other responsibility of, you know, Themyscira and her world. I mean, there. The comics went a little bit too far and made her a little bit more aggressive in that manner and sort of being self-focused on only that uh, made her a little bit of a just like an angry, mean person a lot of the time, which was not a great characterization for her. But having these three characters interact meaningfully is important. And, you know, I won't rule out romance <laughs> between some of these people. Uh, I think that there is something I think there's value to be had in, um, you know, if we're sticking with that that they're all three or that Batman and Superman are heterosexual and that Wonder Woman is bisexual is sort of the current uh, understanding by my brief understanding. I haven't read comics in a while, but that's sort of what uh, I've been hearing on the interwebs. But Batman and Wonder Woman have had a relationship recently in the comics and it's made for some, what I've heard, some very interesting storytelling. There's also times where Superman and Wonder Woman have gotten together, which is maybe a little less interesting uh, there's also somebody said that the Superman Lois Lane romance is something that, you know, is kind of iconic and classic. Doesn't mean we need to stick with that. But so anyway, those three for sure. No questions asked. Now, we move out into. So if, I just want to quickly jump in on the relationships thing. Um, I think one of the I mean, I understand Superman Lois Lane is iconic, but I don't think. If we're going to go with our concept of this is a world with history and Superman's been around for a while, I don't think, you know, if, if Superman crash landed in the 1910s, 
I don't like the idea of him just falling in love with a woman in 2017. And I also don't like, you know, um, so I think we should find a way to liberate ourselves from Lois Lane. And also, I mean, Superman is effectively immortal. If he's going to look for legitimate romance, like it's almost sadistic of him to look for romance among mortal women, right? Like, hey, fall in love with me and then watch me never age, knowing full well that um, you're going to get old and frail and die, and then I'm going to find somebody new. And I'm always going to look like, that just seems sadistic. And um, Wonder Woman's always been a better match for Superman. And Batman is gay. Come on. We all know it. Let's just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Batman is gay. Batman has always been gay. Catwoman is a beard. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Bruce, we love you. You can be yourself around us for once. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to a good question. So let's let's this is a good time to delve into this. And you brought it up. Um, despite what we said earlier, we do have to pick a sort of starting point, right? Like we have to pick a point where the world diverges from our own. And we've seen that period pieces, you know, like Wonder Woman or Captain America, do work well, and that we can put movies in that time period without an issue. So I think that we shouldn't be beholden to the order in which these characters came out or the time in which they came out originally. I think that we should focus on sort of when they emerge, which makes sense for the broader story and their characters. So I don't think Superman should land in the 1910s or 1920s. I think Superman Superman should land like in the late 40s or 50s, early, very early 50s. So, or not land, maybe land. I think he should emerge in the late 40s, you know, as like a 20 year old or something. So I guess he would land in the 20s. So for the, for the sake of, so for this, just for the sake of history here, uh, Superman appeared in the comics in 1938. Batman appeared in 1939. Um, I personally, as I was kind of visualizing all this in my head, the idea of a Batman movie that takes place in 1939, 1940 was fascinating to me because I think Batman makes a hell of a lot more sense um, when he's fighting mobsters and... Um, the most powerful weapons available to civilians are essentially handguns and having a car was awesome as opposed to something everyone has just to have a job. Um, like I just was fascinated by that idea of seeing a Batman emerge in that period. Um, so the idea I kind of had in my head, and I also like the idea of starting with a younger Batman, Mm-hmm who's a little bit more fun loving, a little bit more brash, a little bit more impetuous and not in the same way of like a younger Batman, like the Nolan younger Batman, not brooding like a Batman. Who's a little bit more. I mean, he's, he's a darker character. He's, you know, he comes from a place of vengeance and he dresses up like a bat to scare people. But you know, a Batman who's still kind of like enjoying his job a little bit. Um, and it's challenged by what's in front of him. So I kind of, And what I was thinking about also, when we think about fantasy, um, you need a kind of an insert character in your, in your fantasy story, which is the, in, in, in Star Wars, it's Luke, right? He discovers the wider universe of the Star Wars universe. We learn it with Luke essentially. So the idea I was kicking around in my head is that Batman, Bruce Wayne is our insert character because he is a normal mortal man. Obviously he's doing his own superhero stuff, but then when he discovers the wider world of Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, 
we as the audience, also normal humans, get to experience that with him. So he's our insert character, and we can kind of follow him as he meets Superman and he meets Wonder Woman. We see those characters through his eyes, and that's kind of how we as the audience discover the more fantastical world. So your your idea is that Superman and Wonder Woman are already active running around being superheroes when Batman emerges in the late 30s. Maybe more or less. I, I think what I kind of had in my head was, you know, at the start of it, basically Superman or, you know, Superman basically comes to Gotham and maybe, maybe says to Batman, like, Hey, you know, uh, I've had my eye on you and I think you have some potential. I think we should team up and you have some, I work alone business. And then the idea of like, we've just been sticking to our own cities. You've been taking care of Gotham. I've been taking care of Metropolis. There's a guy out in Keystone city. Who's pretty fast. I've heard about, um, but, Something's on the horizon that is going to take the rest of us. We kind of need to get together on this. Um, and then we can start to bring in, because then you can talk about, oh, it's not just the cities in America that have their own little superheroes that need to band together, but also like these other cities like Atlantis and Themyscira and um, the Green Lantern, who's kind of got jurisdiction over the planet, like you can kind of find a reason to bring them together um, from kind of operating in their own way. But if we kind of stick with Batman, then, you know, that gives us an excuse to explain to the audience where Wonder Woman comes from rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, you know. um, And again, if it takes place in like the late thirties, early forties, like all Batman is going to know about Superman is stuff he heard on the radio, maybe a picture he saw in a newspaper but you know you don't have a national mass media at this point there's no internet like so it's understandable if it's not like where these they can be off doing their own things but it's not like fully impacting the wider world yet so my initial idea so that's your idea yes and let's hold on to that so there's good stuff there my idea was i sort of made up the timeline in my head a little bit that um cuz my biggest concern is world war 2 right i think that we need to leave they're making a fantasy world. I think that we need to leave World War II generally intact. And I need, I need to be careful that I don't want to like follow the Marvel model too much because that's what we're trying to avoid. But I think that we need to have World War II happen the way it happened for us, roughly. Otherwise, it's too much for me to try and extrapolate what would happen if World War II went differently. Right, right. yeah. Um, I can imagine a world in which the Cold War went very different. I have a hard time imagining if World War II didn't happen and i have a hard time imagining world war ii happening the way it did if superman was like around right i don't have a hard time imagining it if other heroes might be around that maybe weren't allowed to intervene like a green lantern situation or you know like i could see batman operating in world war ii he's not going to go over and like go punch hitler in the face that's not his it's not his jam right but I don't see someone who can like fly and shoot lasers being like oh i'll just go let a bunch of you know especially someone like superman go let like you know, millions of people be slaughtered. Uh, I would hate to rehash the territory of what Marvel did and also sort of what Wonder Woman did, because I feel like World War II would be a good sort of, and that was our initial idea for the Wonder Woman movie, and I think sort of that happened as well in the comics, is like Wonder Woman was active in combat in the war during World War II. So I like that. Once again, like, wouldn't have been, like, heard of necessarily. Just sort of, like, happened in her movie in the DC, in the current DC movies. My idea was that Batman 
emerges in 1939 as a 19-year-old. Okay. Uh, active in Gotham City. You know, the war is starting. We aren't in the war yet, but people are sort of gearing up for it. But he's not worried about that. It gives him even more reason to be active as many of the young, able-bodied men who ah. are fighting, you know, the criminals are coming out to play while all the upstanding gents are off in Europe right. getting in trouble. And my idea would be, I like the idea of Batman being our, our everyman. I have a different idea about that, but I'll come back to it. But because I think the order in which we sort of ex- explore our universe also matters. I'm not convinced that this should be the first, like that doing this should be the first in the order. What do you think about, because this was a, a crazy idea I had. What if you release two movies at once? You release your your uh, old-timey origin story and your modern-day movie at the same time, and they kind of mirror each other. That's probably a little too crazy, but anyway, let's work out what our universe looks like and then figure out how you tell the story later. Right, but I think it matters because I could see a story in which... Uh, so, And I think that, to continue my, my world I was building, is that Superman comes out in, like, 47. He emerges as, we'll say, like, maybe like 20 Earth years. So at this point... Bruce Wayne is about 27, sure. a little older, been doing this for, you know, a little less than 10 years. Uh, maybe we've seen him interact with Wonder Woman. I think that one thing we can ha- can say is that people know without affecting World War II is that Themyscira and Atlantis exist, but that they're very isolated, like, places, and they don't interact with the broader world, generally speaking, which is kind of the status quo in a lot of situations, right? Um, maybe Wonder Woman's starting to change that with Themyscira by this point. Uh, perhaps they have interacted at some point, but the Superman emerges as sort of this, like, to me, he embodies, like, the idea of the late 40s, and early 50s, right? The post-war period of, like, America's great, everything's great, we'll ignore Korea, because, you know, that's uh, oh, it's over there. Like, everyone's buying cars and buying, you know, TVs, and everyone's happy, right? And this sort of, like, idyllic American way seems very yeah. 50s to me. And I yeah. feel like that he would emerge in that, you know, kind of coming out of this patriotism, out of the post-war period and uh maybe you said kind of emerging as a leader amongst the team and you had sort of like older bruce wayne being like ah i've been kind of doing my own thing i'm good like don't need you or wonder woman's a little more amiable to the idea of making a team and he's also trying to convince some of the other players so so bruce wayne doesn't go to fight in world war ii because he's busy keeping gotham safe because most of their police force is over in Europe and what's left are a bunch of incompetent lieutenants. So he, you know, he, he, he's stayed home in Gotham, um, to protect the city from itself, which weird, but okay. Works. Um, so, but Superman doesn't show up until after the war. That was my idea. So does that mean Clark Kent was, or Kal-El was just staying out of things before he revealed himself? Well, I think that he was a kid. Like my idea would be that he landed as a baby on earth and like, sure. you know, maybe the back, back here, back, like 27, 28 ish. So then he would have been like, when the war started, he would have been like 14, 15. So he's watching on TV, not on TV. Cause I don't have TV, but you know, he's listening to it on the radio <laughs> and you know, he's hearing about it. Uh, he's here. He's reading newspaper articles about this Batman character. And he decide like, you know, by the time he's out of the right age, the war is over. And, you know, there's kind of that implication in his Superman's past. Like, his powers didn't really start to emerge until he was, like, sure. a mid or late teenager. He's right? got to he's got to absorb enough of the yellow sun. Of course. Which is also why he stops aging at a certain point, because he grows, right? He grows up, 
and he's kind of got normal biology and then he's absorbed enough yellow sun by the time he reaches like his 30s that essentially his aging has stopped because he's getting more and more juiced. I like that. So I do think that we should, I do think he should age. I just think he should age slowly because I think that having a, like, I love the, um, you know, like, uh, like Batman Beyond or, um, gosh, why am I blanking on this name right now? Kingdom Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. Yes. Thank you. Where like, you know, the Superman with like the great temples. Ah, I love it. It's so good. And he's like, kind of just like, he's still himself, but just like a little quieter and a little wiser. Like that's a good Superman that I want to see in like 2018. Yeah. Um, so, so your, your post-war Superman shows up. He, he's finally, his powers have finally kicked on. Um, and he's shown up, the war is over, but he shows up and now he's, he's, he's a comparatively younger man compared to Batman. Correct. I like the dynamic of Batman being older and Superman sort of catching up and then like Batman aging, but Superman sort of staying the same in this sort of weird dynamic. Uh, Mm. something to that, that I sort of like, but I don't want to dominate. I want to try and compromise with your ideas. No, I, I, that's, I, that's actually a little bit more interesting to me. The younger Superman and the older Batman, um, which is ironic because it's kind of what they tried to do in (laughs) like what they did now, but let's ignore that for now, (laughs) except then you can, and then you, but then you can paint it as like Superman's idealism feels more natural compared to Batman's more cynical approach. And, um, it really brings Batman's mortality to the forefront because it, it really underscores like, Oh no, he's a, he's a normal dude who's aging and you know um you know he's got a soft fleshy body and then this new bulletproof kid comes along i like that idea that's a nice dynamic yeah so i figured that you sort of have you got got three sort of movies there in the works you've got your initial batman movie right him first gangsters which is great. It's wherever Batman wants to be. Think about the animated series, right? Like they're all using like Tommy guns and it's all noir and like all these things. That's what we want from Batman, right? Thwarting bank robberies. Right. That's good stuff. I think that a Wonder Woman movie would be an Indiana Jones movie. I feel like we have that. We do, but like (laughs) we can make it again. Who cares? Uh, Like Nazis trying to get into some, you know, paranormal stuff, which is a a classic, you know, story, but one that never gets old. Uh, And, her, she has to thwart it maybe in a different setting so it's not like in europe or something like that she could yeah, go do she, it and she has to she has to rescue the golden fleece from you know because hitler stole it and right yeah. and then you'll have the superman movie which will be sort of the you know bright and sunny and cheery sort of classic superhero film uh i also think that by the time superman emerges i think batman should have a robin that is dick grayson working with him by yes. that point yes a line of Robins is going to be very important to a Batman payoff that I will not budge on. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm with you on that. So, but I do think we need to think about, uh, so we've got kind of a basic idea. Are you going to get the basic idea for where um, the, yes. the origins of the initial three? Yes. I do want to Although, keep Wonder Woman's mythological ties if we can. I think they're cool. But Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, although I think we should be kind of vague about it. Yes. Um, I think the current Wonder Woman movie went a little too far in giving me a little too much information on how like the gods worked. I think the Thor movies strike a good balance of like, are they gods? Are they like weird aliens? I don't know. Just go with it. I feel like that's the right balance. But anyway, yeah, I will say I don't want to see origins, distinct origins. I want to see, I'm happy to see their first adventure, but I swear to God, if I see Bruce Wayne's parents get killed one more time, I will burn this country to the ground. (laughs) 
I I agree with you. Um, and I think that you know we don't yeah we don't need to see it again, and I don't need to see Superman land in a pod again. No, uh, and we be don't. raised in Kansas and whatever. Um, we know we know the story. If they can skip the origin stories of Spider Man things like that, they can certainly as hell skip the origin stories of these people. Yes. You can reference it. You can talk about it. Sure. It like It doesn't matter. No, if you don't know the Batman origin story by now, <laughs> I can't help you. I'm sorry. And also, it's the most boring part. It's He's a crazy rich guy who dresses up like a bat and solves crimes. It doesn't matter how we got there. <laughs> so when I was looking over everything, you know, uh, I wanted to think about what are the other characters that are key to this world? And I, I mean, and I think that there's characters within individual character orbits like the robins i think should be an important role in batman's world but i think as far as other sort of like main individual superheroes um the initial justice league with superman batman wonder woman as the core and aquaman flash green lantern martian manhunter that was the initial justice league more recent of you know more recent iterations of justice league focus on usually having the trinity generally speaking Oftentimes Flash is there, A-Flash. Um, Cyborg is a very common modern inclusion, as well as sometimes Green Arrow uh, has been in the mix. And, you know, trust me, I'm simplifying a million years of history that there's been tons of different Justice League teams, but, like, the ones we see over and over again include these people. There's also some other ones that I think have, uh, you know, had a role that play that people stick out, in, like having a Hawkman or a Hawk Girl. They're weird. I don't think they're necessary inclusion. No, Their backstories are weird. Their powers are redundant. Um, I think that there could be a place for a Captain Marvel or Shazam, as he's now called, because of legal reasons. Guess what they are? Um, uh, he's, but once again, kind of redundant with Superman. I don't think he should be part of the Justice League. I think he should be on his own. But I do think that Flash, Aquaman, and Green Lantern are pretty iconic DC heroes that need to be a part of the Justice League. Yeah, I think I what I like about Green Lantern is he's a space cop whose beat is Earth. And I like that, you know, if 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 the Justice League is somehow parallel to like the UN and you've got the people who are on it aren't necessarily there because they bring the right powers to the D&D party, but they're more representatives um, of something like you could, you know, you could say like, OK, Superman it represents the kind of like he's America's seat on the Justice League and Wonder Woman represents Themyscira and um, Bruce Wayne Batman is funding the whole venture, you know, like um, so I like the idea of, you know, Green Lantern being there of like, hey, I'm here because basically for jurisdictional purposes, like, you know, I'm here to, as a as a part in case I need to pull you guys in to some extraterrestrial threat. Um, and the flash, I don't know how you make him a representative of something, but, um, or maybe, well, they're the justice league of America and he represents, I don't know, somewhere, but he's a West uh, coast guy. <laughs> yes. He makes more sense. Right. Like, yeah, cause it was always Keystone city, which is like oh, central it's, it's city, central city. Right. I forget who's in key. I think Keystone is green Lantern. No, green no. Lantern's coast city. Flash is central city, at least in the show. But Central City is supposed to be like Midwest. You're right. Yeah. Is it Midwest? I thought it was like Philly or Pittsburgh. I don't. It doesn't matter. Know. We are getting down a weird rabbit hole. Here. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I think Flash is good. Although, um, and I think Aquaman. I still don't know how you make Aquaman work. I don't think anybody knows. Well, uh, Jason Momoa is not the answer. No. 
Um, I think that uh, one plot thread I really liked from the Flashpoint storyline, uh, that universe, was that there was an antagonism between Themyscira and Atlantis as these sort of like long-term enemies is too strong a word. And I'm definitely not going to go down the whole like full-on genocidal war plotline in Flashpoint because that's what happens in that storyline is it basically the war between Themyscira and uh, Atlantis wipes out half the world. Um, but I like the idea of like a historic rivalry or tension that like they don't always get along. And one thing I always liked is that even though, even I remember like in the Justice League cartoon, like Aquaman was like in the credits and like on the team, but his seat was, was just empty and he wasn't there because he's like the king of Atlantis and he just like right. doesn't really show up that often. And he doesn't really care a lot. And I kind of like that attitude where he's like, I mean, I know it's kind of cheesy, but like the trident arm and like the long hair Aquaman is one that I liked when they kind of made the iteration, they made him a little bit too like, yeah, edgy, whatever. But like, uh, that sort of like, I mean, not no, quite as dickish as Namor in Marvel. Cause that guy's just an asshole, but just like willing to help out if things get bad, but like not generally around. He's part of the team. Technically, maybe he gets his own movie sometime. Cause there's some things there, but like, he's not usually, I think him was more of like a context character than yeah. an actual like movie or story holding character himself. Yeah. I would rather devote more time to Martian Manhunter than Aquaman because Definitely. I think Martian Manhunter brings interesting, like, because he's got shape-shifting powers, right? Yeah. He's got shape-shifting powers. He can also, wait, can he, yeah, he can go, uh, like, uh, what do you call it when you can go through things? Oh, incorporeal or he can like phase through walls and stuff. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he can do yeah. that. So anyway, but he, so he's kind of like your, like your spy, like he, that's a, that's an interesting power set. And I also really like the dynamic of giving Superman another alien to talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, like I feel like you could have some interesting character moments there of like, um, you know, and also you've got like two very different immigrant stories there. You've got, um, Superman who's like a hundred percent assimilated, right? Um, you know, truth, justice in the American way, dude, you're not even from America. You're not even from earth, but he's like completely assimilated and bought into the American party line. And then you've got the Martian manhunter. Who's like, no, I'm still a weirdo from Mars. Yeah. Um, and if I want to, if I want to pass for one of the rest of you, I have to like concentrate on taking on an entirely different form, but I will always like, you know, once once I stop that, I'm going to go back to being a weird green bald guy. I'm never going to fully fit in. Like that's a really cool dynamic, really interesting. Um, and Aquaman, you know, you put him in for some jokes, but Martian Manhunter is so much more interesting. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, I, I honestly say we would go with the original lineup with an addendum that Aquaman's sort of not always around. Yeah. And I think we also make sure that we depower the flash a little bit. I don't have a problem with powers growing over time. Like I could see Superman, like he continues to absorb yellow sun and gets a little stronger throughout history. Um, and like the Flash's ability to like interact with time and time travel and things and like multiverse stuff like that is has become a part of his character that like I think is hard to eliminate completely. Now, I don't want to start dealing with that stuff immediately or maybe not even this Flash, because we should also talk about, like, the versions. We have, like, different Golden Age versions, right? <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, should we have, like, a Golden Age version of Green Green Lantern, like, with Alan Scott, I think, is the character's name? Like, So far, the only the only what versions of the characters that are important to me is that Batman is Bruce Wayne, the first Robin is Dick Grayson, and everybody else, I mean, what version of the Flash? I mean, whichever one, I don't know, it doesn't matter. 
Um, be- I, I could see like, I think like, I, I kind of like, especially if we're going to do, if we're going for like a long term view of history and, you know, we're going to have these characters like age realistically over time. I think it would make sense to have like a Jay Garrick, which was like the original golden age flash with like, the mm-hmm. goofy tin hat. And since we're the goofy tin hat, although I'd argue for it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, cause then we could have like a Barry Allen and like, the 60s and 70s potentially right like once jay garrett's like oh, i had him every once in a while they can come back for an old ride or like use some time travel whatever i think that having i think one of the strengths of dc in the comics and their storytelling is that these multiple versions of characters are fun yeah yeah and i also think that the idea of a lineage of a hero or a seat on the justice league table because you could imagine like justice league in its 100th year it's like those roles are almost like, like, you know, like we have to go out and like, there's going to be a whole, there's going to be four or five different people who are all gunning to be the flash. Like they want it. They want to get picked to be the, the current flash, you know, like that could be kind of neat. Um, or you could also get into really sinister things of like, Hey, sure is weird that, uh, people keep getting hit with these lightning chemicals that make them fast just about every 30 years. Boy, that's a weird string of coincidences, isn't it? Immortal alien. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I don't, as much as I want to, um, that would be a fun uh, alternate Earth. Earth so two. hard for me not to get not to go dark with these things, isn't it? I, it is, and it's. I mean, <laughs> the dark Superman route is so fun, and it's just it's kind of easy. But like you know, like the uh, injustice that kind of route is always lots of fun. But um, but yeah, so. Uh, I think I think I'm putting my flag on the ground. I think we should go with the original lineup. What do you think? Is there anyone that you think not the only only negative I think is that there's a representation issue, but well, but does there have to be? No. I mean, I think that we could I mean, I don't think you need to stick with these people's like given skin tones or even genders from when they were, you know, made in the I 30s. Mean, I'm, <laughs> again, I'm putting my I'm putting my stake in the ground that that Bruce Wayne is a gay man. Um and I th- um, and, um, I think Green Lantern can be anybody yep. he, he's, he or she is there for earth. Um, they don't have to be American. They don't have to be a dude. Um, the flash can be anybody. Um, I do think that it's kind of important. So I think Batman has to be white because if this is a rich man in the 1940s in America, well, there were certain prerequisites to being a rich man in America in the 1940s. Um, and Superman, I think if he is an embodiment of American ideals of Americanness in the, you know, 1950s and for all the good and bad that that comes with, he's got to be a white dude. Um, but every, everybody else, I think, I don't think there's anything necessary about the representation, um, that says, um, they have to be one one color or one gender or one orientation. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I don't think we need to like put other lesser known characters in to try and meet those molds like a cyborg or something like that. Right. I'm completely happy with um, you know different variations in those things. So cool, cool. I'm I'm cool with that. Uh, yeah. So I think that we've kind of outlined who our Justice League is and the context that all this takes place in, but I think we need to map out some stories that can take place in this world, but I don't think we can do all of that in one episode. Mm, I, I think, think you're right. I think we found a two-parter. Ooh, two-parter. I like it. Uh, do you want to save stories for next time? Yes. Okay. Um, Cause I, you know, I feel like 
I don't want to rush through that. I feel like there's a lot of interesting stories we can tell with some of the ideas we've cooked up tonight. And we take a little bit of time. We figure out what kind of stories we can tell. I mean, I feel like we could map out six or seven movies here without even getting into like individual movies for each character. Like, I feel like just the idea of watching these characters, you know, being able to juxtapose these characters in the forties with these characters in the modern day and how they've like matured and grown and, um, you know, which, you know, who's still on the team. I mean, obviously, you know, Kal-El is still Kal-El and Diana is still Diana. Are they still, you know, is she still calling herself Wonder Woman or has she recruited some other, you know, to, oh, I'm just Diana. Now you're the new Wonder Woman. And who the hell is Batman? If Batman started work in the 1930s and now it's 2018, who the hell is wearing that cowl? Is it like the ninth Robin? And which Robin is it? Like, this is the stuff I want to get into, but I feel like we need to give it uh, more time. Yeah, I would agree. I think that we should um, save those for next time. I think we should also touch about a couple other things that I would like to see in this world. Yes. To give us some more stuff to marinate on as we uh, think about next time. And get some villains. Yes, some villains. Oh, I'm so excited for villains. Uh, DC's got some got some good villains. So I want to see since we're gonna we're gonna tell this we're gonna have this whole world this rich history and you know from that point when when Superman emerges I think is is really the point where we can start to see the world start to take a different turn right uh, and we don't have to explain everything. It's not like oh this is this way because this this and this things can just look different. I mean there's a I tried to find pictures of it, but I couldn't find any. I don't know why. But in the DC CW universe, um, they interact a lot with Earth 2 in the one season of Flash. And Earth 2 is like this super, super awesome, like stylized, retro futuristic, like it's like goofy looking monorails that you would have seen in like mm-hmm. action comics 15, you know, like Metropolis kind of style stuff. It's very like light and like maybe a hint of steampunk, but like not quite like that. And just like. I want to see that. I want to see different style places. I want to see a world that's a little bit different. And we don't have to explain every breadcrumb of why it's a little bit different. Just know, like, it's butterfly effect, right? Like, Superman exists, and therefore things are a little different. And they don't have to be directly caused by Superman. But uh, we just get to explore a different world. I, I do want to definitely engage with historical things, like how the Cold War plays out with this existence of superheroes. Because the Cold War, I think, would have started, right? But I think the way... It, goes out it's gonna be very different um and sort of even engaging with our characters and how they deal with that like superman like what is your role like are you a arm of the united states government do you help them out or do you not take part in it and what's the morality of that right uh i want to see some because we're doing it over a long period of time i want to see some crazy time travel multiverse shit eventually i don't want to get to that too quickly i'm going to let you have it i'm going to let you have that (laughs) <laughs> because I feel like you're letting me have a gay 1930s Batman. So you're making that concession to me. I'm going to let you go with time travel. Again, I got to keep reminding myself we're going like fantasy route here. So it's fine if there's dumb time travel shenanigans, you know, and I won't just say, well, like, well, if you time travel, you always just go back five minutes and make the better decision and you always win. No, no, Somehow I don't know how it to be, be a crutch or a commonly used thing. I just think that there will be times where, uh, there's plenty of plot machinations where you can have a time travel thing exist once and yes. or twice and have it be a, okay, that happened. Yeah. Um, there's, I want to see, this is nice because we have plenty of time and space to adapt classic stories, reimagine them for modern age, take bits and pieces of things and rearrange them a little bit, you know, take the ideas of a kingdom come or the ideas of a, 
you know, identity crisis and say, okay, like, how does this fit into our world? Take some things we know and love and twist it, turn on its head a little bit. And I think the other key is that not everything has to go up to big team ups, although I think they could certainly exist. Well, and I actually think that um, the Justice League, like the X-Men, works better as team movies than as individuals. I think Batman can carry a movie. I think Batman can carry a movie. The rest, I'm not sure. But um, I think they work great as, as, you know, we don't have to follow the Mar- Marvel model of solo, 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 team up. Solo, 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 team up. It can just be like, it can be more like Guardians of the Galaxy where it's like, this is the, this is the crew. And we're going to follow them through each one. Um, and one of the things I would like to rip off from the X-Men series is even though I think the kind of the newer X-Men movies have done a bad job of executing, but the idea of like, this one's the sixties, this one's the seventies, this one's the eighties, this one's the nineties. Like I would love to see a justice league movie just kind of each one is kind of a different decade, you know, yeah. kind of going with them. Like that would be so cool to see like, all right now, Batman, it's, it's, it's the eighties and Batman is, you know, he's 60 and he's dealing with the 1980s. Like, that would be great. Yeah, I think that. And, you know, you see how these things play out and see who, you know, sometimes oh, characters man. take on a role. What? Hey, Batman dealing with the, with the height of the AIDS epidemic. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I would also like to see things have lasting effects, right? Like if Brainiac comes and invades Earth in like the 70s, 71 Brainiac invades Earth and the Justice League just barely beats him off. What does that do to the Earth? You know what I mean? What, how does that change people's, you know, perception and like change the world? And that's what gives us the the leeway and the flexibility of this new fantasy world to be able to say, oh, no, no. Like because of that, now X, Y, Z. Yeah, right? that, te- that technology means now everybody's got a smartphone in 1978. Right. Or, uh, or you know, uh, I don't know, there's a new, you know, Something happened, a catastrophe happened in this place, and now that country is no longer, you know, a world power or something, you know, or because of this, something happened in the Cold War that, you know, whatever is the circumstance. But things can happen and have lasting effects, and people know about them and don't just forget them in the next movie. Like, oh, yeah, remember when, you know, when, like, Vandal Savage came and, like, came through time and, like, ripped all our stuff up? Like, ah, no, that was last week, right? Like, we just got a new car, moved on. Like, that's not how things work in the world, right? So, like, even though this is a fantasy world, Things should have consequences well, that should be realistic, right? I agree, but I also like the idea of a populace that has become somewhat numb to supervillain attacks in much yes. the same way that our culture has become depressingly numb to mass shootings. Like, yeah, it still affects us, but, you know, we kind of like, we have a response pattern. We take it in stride. Um, or the way we respond to, you know, terrorist acts in America. Like we've, kind of gotten to the point where we're just kind of treating them like like any other crime you know it's no longer this you know so the idea of like oh geez the joker's at it again oh god damn it as opposed to you know like dealing with it like it's an extinction level event it's like no it's it's a shitty thing but you know we've gotten used to this sort of thing and superman will take care of it and we'll move on right i agree with that too yeah um you know on an individual level people are are, are a little numb and then you know what does that extrapolate out into society, right? Uh, yeah, so, cool. Is there anything else that you would like to see? Um, 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 um. No, I think my 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 wish list of gay Batman through the decades is, is you know, I feel like there's a lot to explore there. Fair enough. And I think that we might need to throw in a, 
a female Robin at, at some point too, just because otherwise you see a pattern of like recruiting young men. And it's like, eh, that's not what we want. You know, do you think there should be a Batman Robin romance? Um, I don't think we, I don't think the tone would allow us to be explicit with it, but I think that at least he, he was in love with at least one of them. Fair enough. And, uh, and how, I mean, when does, when, I mean, again, this is, you know, this is a guy who was born in the, the you know, 19, 1920s. Like, at what point does he start being honest with himself about who he is and uh, what is his journey like? And, um, you know, what is, again, now I'm getting all like, you know, like serious with it when it's like, man, I would actually kind of like to see a dark grounded Batman movie where, you know, he's an older man and he's in love with Robin and they have to fight crime together. Like that's kind of an interesting storyline, uh, you know, not in a, you know, gross exploitative way, but like, you know, like that could be an interesting thing to explore. I don't think that's, we're going to go down that road, but yes. Yeah. I do want to make sure that we're careful to, uh, you can, you can go down a road that, that would be unfortunate. That would be like the way people would interpret a rich, powerful man, a rich, powerful gay man recruiting young boys. Uh, troubled orphaned young boys uh into his home and like making them wrestle with him yes that's so we gotta be careful road. of that's that that's not but... the road this is <laughs> okay it's not this is not that um got but it anyway uh no that's all I, I i would like a you know um i've said my part so we are going to uh hit the woodshed and come up with some storylines and map some things out and we're going to come back and kind of so we've built our world, we've established our characters, and now we're going to figure out what our stories, the stories we want to tell in this world. Yes. Well, all right, Guy. I think that uh, wraps it up for this week. I'm excited to uh, finish this up. I am as well. I'm excited to explore our new world and then make millions of dollars of it off of it uh, when we sell it to you know WB, right? You realize, and we've talked about this before, once we've said it and published it, <laughs> yeah, these ideas about other people's intellectual property... Like we don't get, we, there's no way we can get paid for this now. <laughs> well, you know, that's why we're like a not, you know, we're like a nonprofit, right? We're doing it for the greater good, for the great, the, the good of the world deserves better DC storytelling. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're basically doctors without borders. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And we don't even have to, uh, yeah, no, that's what we're doing. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>